2 Samuel 14, if you haven't made your way there. I want to start this morning by <clears throat> just sharing with you something that was spoken by a licensed professional counselor about narcissism. The counselor said, narcissism is a personality disorder that is characterized by having an excessive sense of self-importance, requires excessive admiration, has a very significant sense of entitlement, takes advantage of others to meet their own needs, and lacks empathy. Someone who demonstrates narcissistic behaviors will operate in a way that is manipulative but convincing. They are good at making themselves appear as the victim when issues with their behaviors are brought to their attention. So history has no shortage of people like this. Neither does the present. Narcissists are everywhere. The narcissist is your worst nightmare in marriage. They are your worst nightmare if you have to deal with them on a regular basis. And they are your worst nightmare if you have to deal with them in ministry. These people are absolutely very unpleasant. These are people who wreck relationships. They split churches. And in their wake, you find people gasping for air. The narcissists. Given what we know about David's life and David's family at this point, and 2 Samuel 14, if there was one thing that he did not need in his life, it was a narcissist. He did not need a narcissist in his life right now. But when you open your Bible to 2 Samuel 14, David's nephew and general of his army, Joab, resurfaces, and guess who he is? I mean, it's obvious by now, if you've done any, just a casual study of, of Joab, will tell you absolutely he's the guy that we were describing in our opening. Joab was a narcissist. He was a man who was absolutely intoxicated with himself, drunk on himself. The last time that we heard from him was in chapter 12, when he led the charge in taking the royal city of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon. And as he resurfaces here in chapter 14, his narcissistic bent will do David no favors or those around David any favors whatsoever. Instead of being a blessing to the king and to his family at a time when that was desperately needed, Joab would set things in motion that will ultimately lead to the dividing of the kingdom. I mean, he's going to essentially facilitate the, the, seed that, the seeds that needed to be planted for a coup d'etat which would ultimately happen. And what we're going to see is that he did that for selfish reasons. Although on the surface, it won't appear to be that way. That's how it is with narcissists. It doesn't look that way on the surface, but once you get beneath that, make no mistake about it, Joab was operating with an ulterior motive. So here's something that I do want us to understand about people like Joab, about the narcissist, and it lays a foundation for what I believe God wants us to see today. And it is this, the narcissist always operates with a hidden agenda. You will never find a narcissist that does not have a hidden agenda. They always have one. They do not 
leave home without one. They have to have that. Narcissists are obsessed with themselves to the point where they are driven to identify how they can achieve personal gain in every situation, in every scenario. They're always looking to see how they can personally capitalize. So the question that they're always asking themselves is, what's in this for me? What do I get out of this? How does this benefit me? That's the narcissist. They do not care who gets hurt or who suffers loss as long as they personally gain. That's the narcissist. So this morning, we're going to identify some traits of the narcissist. And I can't imagine that anyone in this room or someone viewing or someone listening would say, yeah, that sounds like someone I want to be. Amen. I, I would agree that none of us would sign up intentionally to, to be a narcissist. However, here is where God should get our undivided attention because here is what is true about everyone in this room right now. Everyone. Your flesh is narcissistic. Your flesh, you in the flesh, about this, this will be more kind. In the flesh, I am a narcissist. I was going to say you are a narcissist in the flesh, but I, no, in the flesh, you're looking at a narcissist. In the flesh. That is in my flesh. So apart from walking in the Spirit of God, the traits that we're going to look at today, they can and they will surface in your life. If you're not walking in the Spirit, you will exhibit these traits that we're going to begin walking through today. Because this is what your flesh is going to produce in your life. This is what's going to manifest. And you will be very difficult to be around. You'll be very difficult to deal with. And like Joab, you are going to hurt people in very deep ways. So we dive in in the first three verses. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner and put on new mourning apparel and anoint not thyself with oil, but be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead. And come to the king and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Now, Joab's narcissistic, carnal character surfaces immediately in these opening verses. When you know Joab, and you, and again, we'll, we'll build this out as we go, but, but no, it's, the narcissist has absolutely reemerged. He is here right before our eyes. Absalom was still in exile in Gesher, trying to avoid being held accountable for the murder of his brother Amnon. And so he's still hiding out. While David did long for Absalom, the reason that David, or one of the reasons that David did not actually go and get him or have him brought back to Jerusalem was because David did not want to have to deal with Absalom regarding what he had done. 
Absalom deserved to be put to death according to the law, and David did not want to do that. So that's one of the reasons, if not the ultimate reason, why he didn't go. But Joab's dark and narcissistic character is seen in that he was operating just like Jonadab in the previous chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 13, who we identified as a perfect type of the devil, the serpent. For selfish reasons, which we're going to talk about shortly, he devised a plan, Joab did, for David and Absalom to ultimately get what they both wanted. So David wanted Absalom back, but he didn't want to have to deal with him about what he had done. Absalom wanted to come back, but did not want to be held accountable for what he had done. Joab says, I'm your man. I can make both happen. That was Joab, which is what Jonadab did with Amnon, if not the same with Absalom regarding exacting revenge on Amnon for what he had done to Tamar. This is proven when we consider the woman that Joab summoned from Tekoa. We're not given her name. We're not given any personal details about this woman, but there is a very critical detail that we see about her in verse 2, and the Bible tells us that she was a wise woman. Now, it's very interesting because when you look at that word wise, it is the same word that was translated about Jonadab in 2 Samuel 13, verse 3, as subtle. Okay, so her character is starting to come into very clear view here. Very clear view. So this woman was wise in the sense that she was cunning. She was a cunning woman, which explains how and why she would have been someone that was acquainted with Joab and why she would have been someone that Joab believed that he could use to facilitate his selfish, narcissistic plan. They, they were the same people. They were of the same character. But the question that we have to answer, though, is, so what is it that Joab is looking to get out of this? Why is he doing this? What's his hidden agenda? <clears throat> David, by this time, was getting older. That's obvious as you're flipping the pages. He's aging. Well, Amnon, who was the heir to the throne, is no longer on the scene. He's, he's gone. So guess who's in line now to become the king? It's Absalom. That's the guy who's next. If, if, if David dies and, and Absalom becomes the king, uh, Joab was looking for some personal insurance to ensure that his position as captain or general of David's army was safe. And if I can facilitate the return of Absalom without him being punished for what he has done, guess what that means? That means now Absalom is indebted to me. I've got him. Look at what I've done for you. One of the things about narcissists I will tell you is that they are excellent scorekeepers. They keep score really well. <laughs> they really, really do. Given that David did not punish Amnon for raping Tamar, and, and at a minimum, he knew that David did not want to punish Absalom for murdering or having Amnon murdered, Joab knew, <laughs> he knew that 
Absalom, most likely, there's, I mean, there's nothing standing between Absalom and the throne except David. He's not going to kill him. This is going to be the next king. And I've got to look out for me. And facilitating Absalom's return would absolutely help that. Now, here's what you got to understand about narcissists. Is their allegiances are always negotiable. It all depends on the situation and the scenario, because as we keep turning the pages, you're going to actually see that Joab will not be in league with or in support of Absalom, just the opposite, because the situation changed. This is how narcissists roll. But for now, it was, his, it was in his best interest to facilitate this. So when verse 1 opens with him perceiving that the king's heart was towards Absalom, what that meant to Joab was that was an opportunity for him to leverage that for his agenda. So I know you want to bring him home. I know that you don't want to punish him. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Not for your benefit or even his, but for mine. And this brings us to identify what is all too common with narcissists, and it is this. They are opportunistic. They are opportunistic, narcissists are. They are. As we'll see, Joab was not interested whatsoever in seeing the king and his son reconcile. (laughs) He was not interested in that whatsoever. He didn't care about that. This was strictly a business decision for Joab. This is business. And I am looking out for my bottom line in all of this. The Apostle Paul described the narcissist very clearly and perfectly in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2. But verse 1 begins with, he said, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Narcissists are those that Paul describes as being lovers of their own selves. Narcissists love themselves. First (laughs) and always. What Paul was not advocating for here was a self-hatred. That's not where he's going. Here's what Paul was getting at, brethren, and, and, and listen, Let this be a warning to all of us, okay? Let this be a warning to me. Let this be a warning to you. The issue is this. Those who love self are self-centered. That's the issue. The issue is not hating yourself. That's not what Paul is getting at. The issue with being a lover of your own self is that you are self-centered, your, your heart, your mind, your whole being is, is, is completely fixated right here. It's very, very local. The narcissist is self-centered. Everything is about them. And let me tell you why this becomes very dangerous for you as a believer in Jesus Christ and why this places you in a very bad place in your walk with God. Here it is. Self-centeredness challenges the preeminence of Christ. If you're self-centered, 
you are challenging the preeminence of Christ. What you're saying is, is you're saying, no, it's, it's me first, not you, Lord. It, it, it's me. Lord, I, I'm preeminent. It, Lord, in this marriage, it's, it's about me. In this parenting arrangement, it's about me. In this church, in this, in this life group, in this class, whatever it is, wherever we go, it, it's, no, you don't understand. Everybody needs to understand I'm preeminent. I need everybody in and around my life to, to know this. They need to know that I am the most important being in the universe. And it would do them well to ensure that I am always pleased with every decision that is made, with everything that goes on. If they would just wake up and understand if they would meet all of my needs and demands, just how happy they'll be. That's a narcissist. I wonder how that's going to end for the believer. But Joab's opportunistic bent is heightened when you consider how he planned to use this woman, how he planned to use her to deceive the king. When God chose to use a parable to confront David about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite, what did he do? Well, God chose Nathan the prophet, a man. And not only that, but that confrontation between Nathan the prophet and King David was based on God's word. When you look at this, though, Joab also would use a parable, as you keep reading. But he didn't use a man, he used a woman. Why did he do that? Because he's shrewd and he's opportunistic. He knew that a woman, he knew David well. <laughs> Let's say that. He knew David very well. He knew that a woman would be more persuasive. He knew that a woman would be able to press and exploit a weakness that David had. This guy was good. I'm going to tell you, let me, let me just tell you, it's guys like Joab that, that teach you great lessons in ministry especially when you're talking about things like working with people in ministry and appointing people to certain places in leadership, I'm going to tell you, it's a guy like Joab that you go, you know what? That's the guy that you got to watch. This is the guy who is political. He's opportunistic. He's all about himself. He's looking and everything that's happening he is, he is shaking and he is moving and he's trying to get in a relationship with this person because if I get in their good graces, that means that I can get opportunities here, here, and here. These people exist. I wish they didn't. They exist and they can do and they have done and they will do great damage. Unlike Nathan the prophet, the mission of this wise woman of Tekoa was to get David to agree. This is where this whole thing was going to go. Her mission was to get David to agree that he would not deal with Absalom according to the word of God. That was the mission. 
<laughs> now, before we look at that closer, there's another very important observation we need to make about the narcissist, and it is this, they are overbearing. They are overbearing. Narcissists are a force. They're very overbearing. What makes it obvious that Joab was ultimately looking out for himself is, would you notice, as he goes about this, he doesn't consult God whatsoever, right? Which really doesn't surprise you when you know Joab. I mean, he, he was a carnal man. So yeah, he's going to act without prayer. And Okay, but, but we should point it out. But, here, but here's another observation. He doesn't consult David. This is a big decision. So we're, we're, now I am working to facilitate the return, the return of your son, Absalom, given everything that's happened. I think that would be worthy of a conversation. Hey, King, can, can we set aside some time over breakfast? To, I want to talk to you about something. No, he doesn't talk to the king. Again, he's got a motive. <laughs> And the last thing he wants is for David to tell him no. So Joab was the type that we've all heard it said many times, it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. That's Joab. He took control and put his plan into motion. He, into motion. he started by fetching the woman uh, from Tekoa and giving her the script. Now, if, you, if you're looking for a phrase that justifies or, or, or gives us an image of an overbearing person, you get it at the end of verse 3. Look at it. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Let me tell you what you're going to say. So let, here, I, I got it. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it, and this is exactly what you're going to say. That's an overbearing person. Notice, um, verse 2, I pray thee. Uh, That's equivalent to beseeching, which is urgent pleading. Like just, I mean, he, he is, listen, I guarantee you, this woman would not have felt like she had the option to say no. No, this is very consistent with narcissistic behavior that is overbearing and controlling. Where we come on so strong and people are like, oh man, (laughs) it's like, you are stomping on me. (laughs) Like, you are steamrolling me. Like, like Becky talked about talking with her granddaughter. Is it okay if we talk about this? An overbearing person doesn't operate that way. No, this is what we're going to talk about. This is where this conversation is going to go. This is what I want to know. That was Joab. Let me give you some examples in Scripture of overbearing behavior, and there are a number. We don't have time to look at all of them, but I just want to give you a few. Proverbs 27, 
15 and 16, a continual dropping in a very rainy day, and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind, and the ointment of his right hand, which bereath itself. Now, I just want to say out of the gate, I know nothing about this woman. I'm trying to be funny here. <laughs> Work with me, people. Because <laughs> I'm not married to a woman like that, so I don't know nothing about this at all. I've never seen this before, ever. <laughs> No, a continual dropping of water is uh, annoying, isn't it? It's irritating. It's grinding. It grinds on you. Well, the contentious woman in the home is like that. Hiding her is like trying to hide or restrain the wind. It can't be done. It's foolish to try. It just keeps swirling and blowing. When Mary anointed Jesus with the uh, ointment of spikenard, it we're told that it, what, it filled the room, right? It, it took over the room. You could not help but notice this beautiful fragrance. So the reference to the ointment in the right hand, which bereath itself, is like trying to conceal the odor of ointment once it's in your hand. You can't. If you took perfume or cologne and you sprayed it in your hand, you can't conceal that. I mean, you can't stop that, right? So this woman is like this. She is a force, she is overbearing. She can't be stopped. She, she can't be contained. Which brings me to take us back to something that David said early on in this book, if you'll be turning to chapter 3 very quickly. Something that David said about Joab and his brother Abishai, about this very thing that we're looking at right here about being overbearing. We got a preview of it early in 2 Samuel. <clears throat> 2 Samuel 3, verse 39. David said, And I am this day weak, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. So this was after Joab and Abishai murdered Abner, they went around David. They went over David's head to do this. It grieved David to the core. But notice what he said. They're too hard for me. They're too much. They're a force. They can't be restrained. They can't be contained. They're overbearing. They're unpleasant to deal with. I mean, they grieve David to the core. They're too hard. They're too much. This is exactly how people view overbearing people. They're, they're too hard for me. They're too much. Like I just, I, man, <laughs> they cut my air off. They just, they just run over me. They're, they're inconsiderate. They're impolite. They're not courteous, they're not patient, they're not gentle, they're not thoughtful, they're, they're just, uh, it's tough. The scribes and the Pharisees were also narcissistic and overbearing. Look at Matthew 23, 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders, 
but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. The issue wasn't that the scribes and the Pharisees were holding people to the standard of God's word. That, that wasn't the problem. The problem was they went far beyond that by placing these strenuous demands on the people that were based on tradition, where they went above and beyond and overloaded the people with what something like 600 rules that they stacked on top of the Old Testament law. And you know what? You're going to live all of them. Just overbearing, dominating. They were a force. How about this? Pastors can be overbearing. I know this. 1 Peter 5, verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Lording over God's heritage is leading in a controlling, domineering, and overbearing way. In environments like this, people perceive that they need permission to sneeze or to change their shirt. Because it's so suffocating and controlling. But here's what we must understand about overbearing people. You ready? People find overbearing people to be insufferable. They do. If someone is overbearing, people are going to find them to be insufferable. Like, I just, I can't deal with them. I don't want to deal with them. I don't want to be around them. I actually hope they don't come today. I hope they don't show up. <laughs> I don't want to deal with them. They're insufferable. Now, our tendency on a topic like this, when we're hearing this, we say, yeah, this, boy, that really sounds really bad. And, and boy, I wonder, you know, uh, I hope so-and-so is really hearing this. Uh, th this is really for that person that's across the room, or, boy, I sure hope my husband... Uh, goes back and listens to this. He's not here today, or my wife, or whatever it might be. And that, that very well could be true. But here's what could also be true. This could also be applicable to the person that's sitting in the very seat that you're sitting in. There might be some things that uh, the Lord is trying to speak to you about as it relates to this. This is, again, this is natural to us in the flesh. It's natural. There are a few variations of this list that you have in your notes about habits that cause others to be overbearing. I've seen as many as 12, and I've seen fewer than this, but, but I, I do think that there's value here, which is why I added it to your notes. We'll just cruise through it. But I just wonder if any of these resonate with you, just some signs of overbearing behavior. They blame you when things go wrong. They also expect you to comply with their wishes in the future to avoid such mistakes. In other words, you will not disappoint me again, right? You're not going to make a mistake again, right? You're, you're not going to let this happen again, right? Because I don't like this. So now they, they put pressure on you to make sure, man, you don't slip. Make sure you don't let them down. They are highly critical and intimidating. 
For the narcissist, nothing is ever right. Nothing is ever good enough. Our narcissist walks into a situation and what they're looking for is everything that is wrong. Everything that is wrong about this place and everything that is wrong about the people in it. Oh, 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 did you catch that? These are, how about this? The narcissist, they wear white gloves. They wear white gloves. And they walk through and they inspect. And, oh, let me, a little dust there. They don't accept any boundaries that you may attempt to establish. Narcissists obliterate boundaries all the time. They overstep. They try to control your behavior or movement and make you change yourself to suit their ideals. So narcissists tend to be legalist. Oh, you, you, you send your kids to public school. I, we don't do that. Well, good for you. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad that you don't do that. Oh, you're, you, you, uh, you're sending your kids to this college. I, I wouldn't send my kids to that college. No problem. I'll send them wherever you're going to pay for the tuition. Amen. How about that? <clears throat> Conversation's over then. They try to dictate or control things that may otherwise be minor issues. Everything with the narcissist is a big deal. Everything's a fire drill. Everything's a national emergency. There, there aren't things that we can just let go. It's okay. That's no big deal. No problem. We're good. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. We, we've got to investigate that. <laughs> Look at that. Okay. They don't give people space and expect things to be done their way. So this is, like, here's, some, here's what that can look like. The narcissist might approach you with something, even in ministry. Hey, would you, we'd love for you to do this and that. And, and you say, well, I really appreciate you bringing that to me. Uh, I'm going to take some time to, to get with the Lord on that, and I'll get back to you. Well, actually, I need to know right now. Well, I guess if you've got to know right now, the answer is no. I haven't had time to get with the Lord on this. They act superior or entitled and also come across as arrogant. When you're in the presence of a narcissist and they're talking to you, what you'll feel like and what you'll notice is they're actually not talking to you, they're talking down to you. It's in their tone. It's how they look at you. It's how they respond. It's you're less than me. Whatever metric they're operating on, you come out less than. I mean, it's, it's obvious. They demand prioritization and have their needs and schedules placed above everyone else's. So whatever I think is first is what you think is first, and you think is first right now, don't you? This has now moved to number one in your list, and this is all you're going to focus on, right? They become rude and hurtful when things don't go their way. Here's a big one. 
They give unwanted advice, expect you to follow, and take offense if you don't. I mean, this is how it is. You didn't ask me my opinion, but I'm giving it to you. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even giving it to you as an opinion. I'm giving it to you as an expectation that you're going to receive it, and this is how you're going to adjust, right? And if you don't, what's your problem? Listen, praise the Lord if, if we walk through these and you're like, man, I'm good. <laughs> man, that, praise the Lord. Can I tell you, uh, there was a moment this week where I had to actually go to my wife and apologize because of something on this list. You know what that is? Lori is, she's a wonderful helper and support. Like, I, I, I could not do what I do without Lori. She is a rock star. I mean that. I mean, it, it is the plate is constantly overflowing, and she brings a sanity and uh, an organization to all that that keeps me upright and keeps me between the lines, and, and I am ever grateful for her with that. But a problem I have is that times when, when I ask her to help me with something, my expectation is that it's number one. So whatever she's working on, it could be for Sam, it could be for one of the pastors. It could be for LFBI. It could be the kids. It doesn't matter. I need something. So that's the most important thing in your life right now, right? So after an hour, when I haven't got a response, hey, hey, did, did you get that text? Did you get that email? Did you, how's that coming? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know that you needed that right now. And, and my thinking is, well, you should have known. <laughs> I don't say that. I don't say that, but I think it, and I'm annoyed, and I'm irritated. So we had a pleasant conversation, and I said, hey, in the future, would it help you if I had something that was pressing, and I said, hey, I really need this to be taken care of. Do you have capacity to get to this, say, in the next hour? If you don't, it's okay. I'll, I'll take care of it. Yeah, that, that'll work. All right. Conversation's over. Otherwise, if I ask her to help me something, which she's always willing to do, well, then she'll get to it when she gets to it. And I'm okay with that. There we go. We said that overbearing people are found to be insufferable. Here's another critical point in addition to that. Here it is. A telltale sign that others find us to be overbearing is avoidance. Avoidance. That's a telltale sign that people find us to be too much, they find us to be too hard, is they will go out of their way to avoid us. And you'll feel it. That's what happens when people perceive us to be overbearing. They're just like, you know what? I, like, you know, I'll just choose Larry. They're, I don't see Larry, but I definitely see Kyle. <laughs> so I'm going to go over to Kyle. What's up, man? How you doing? Right? Like it's just, and Larry is just dumbfounded. How could he not see me? I know he saw me. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, notice the biblical proof for this. Look at this in Proverbs 21.9. <clears throat> it is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. 
So like the contentious woman that we saw earlier, the brawling woman, too, is a force. She's too much. She is. And the image here is that of her husband who would prefer the small corner on top of the house instead of being in a spacious area in his home. Why? Because he finds his wife to be insufferable. So I'd rather go up into this cramped space. (laughs) I'm just going to avoid her. She's just too much. Now, please hear me. This certainly is not true of women alone. There are some wives who could reverse this and go, well, yeah, I choose to go to the corner (laughs) on top of the house to be away from him. We could say that too. But male or female, if others consider us to be overbearing, listen, here's what they will do. They will find ways and they will find reasons to avoid us. And if they can't, here's what they're looking to do. They're looking to keep those interactions with us as short as possible. They're looking for the exit in that conversation. How can I get away from them? Why do they do that? Because experience has taught them that if they interact with us, it's going to result in them either getting hurt or worn down. It's going to be at a minimum. This interaction with this person is going to wear me down. It's going to wear me out. And, And here's one of the issues with narcissists is that they're tone deaf. That is, they lack understanding of how their speech and behavior affects people around them. They can't sense, they can't tell that what they're saying or what they're doing is actually hurtful. They're tone deaf. So they keep doing it, which, which tells people, well, you know what? No, I just, because I know if I, if I you're going to hurt me <laughs> or you're going to wear me down. So they just avoid, right? Brethren, how about this? You ready? We will be the kind of person that others can't get enough of, or we will be the kind of person that others have, have had enough of. Does that make sense? We're, we're going to be one of those individuals where people go, man, I just, man, give me more. <laughs> or, I've had enough. I've had enough. So let me just give you a few things. We'll close with this on, on how, you can, how you can be a blessing. This is very, very simple. How you can be a blessing instead of being a burden. How you can be the kind of person the kind of spouse, uh, the, the kind of ministry, co-laborer that, that people can't get enough of. You're a blessing, not a burden. Number one, how about this? Be balanced, not burdensome. People will eventually perceive you to be too much if they feel like every encounter with you is a ministry meeting or a problem-solving session. You're burdensome. Like every time they see you, they see a problem approaching. 
So, all right, so how about this and this over here and that over there? And we got to talk about this. We got to talk about that. And over here, I sent you an email and you haven't got back to me on that. And this is every conversation. Avoidance. <laughs> Listen, it is wise to keep it loose and light sometimes. It's good. Doug, how was your weekend? The weather was beautiful. What did you guys do yesterday to enjoy the weather? Be complimentary, not critical. Again, the narcissist is going to fixate on what's wrong and listen. Rarely, I do mean rarely, do they ever have a kind word to say about people? They don't compliment people. They don't compliment you. This is, what be, this is why it becomes hurtful because, okay, here we go. I'm, okay, this, I wish I was exaggerating. Man, you've gained a few pounds, Larry. Ouch. No, I'm just pregnant. Right? I mean, not that I, would, I would never say that, but the narcissist will say something like that. They're, they're just in, I'm sorry? Yeah, it better be. <laughs> right, are you guys tracking with me? Like, they're, they're just, they're, again, they're tone deaf. We are a blessing when our speech is encouraging and complimentary. Just so you know, you ready? For the record, people who aren't critical have no desire to spend time with or be around people who are. Did you get that? If someone is not critical, they're not negative. They're not always complaining. They're not always pointing out what's wrong. That kind of person has no desire to be with someone who's like that. Listen, the only kind of people who want to spend time with critical people are critical people. So their time together is maxed out on Everything that's wrong with everything and everybody. Be complimentary, not critical. Listen, let me start with the husbands. Husbands, do you want to speak life into your wife? Do, do you, uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty one, death and life are in the power of the tongue? Do you want to speak life into your wife? Let, let me help you. Sweetheart, you look wonderful today. How are you doing? She's looking around. I, I better be talking to you. I better be talking to you. you. You with me? Lori, thank you so much for taking care of that. That helped me so much the other day. That saved me about three hours. Amen. Not, I just got home, but... Who, who put that box in the garage? I pulled in and I could barely park. Oh boy. <laughs> We're off to a great evening. How about this? Be gentle, not gruff. Overbearing people are like a bull in a china shop. They just are. They are not measured in their tone or their words. They can steamroll people in conversations 
to the point where people go, you know what, I just, no, 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 no. They're just, again, they're a force. How about this? Be interested, not introspective. What is certain to push people away is when they perceive that in every encounter and conversation with you, you are only interested in getting them interested in you. That wears them out. It wears them down. Every conversation, no matter what it is, you find a way to steer it where it comes back to, if I can borrow Sam, where it comes back to the narcissist, me. People are, they get drained by that. Here's one, be mindful, not monopolizing. How about this? You should never expect anyone to have 10 minutes for you every time they see you. That is unfair and that is unrealistic. And listen, it is very selfish. And when you do interact with them, be mindful of their time. Not, okay, so now that I've got you, I've got you all to myself, I'm not going to let you go. So I don't care if you have five minutes, 10 minutes, or 15, that's what I'm taking. So one of the things that you do have to learn that I have to learn is learn to read body language. So here we go. I'll give you a quick example. Sometimes we're in the office and Sam is walking back to his office and I'll, I'll catch him and I'll say, hey, Sam. I'll, I'll step out into the hall, and this is what he'll do. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> what's he? We got it, right? He's telling me I don't have time. Here's what you don't do in those situations. No, be mindful. He doesn't have time. That doesn't mean that, you know what? Well, I'm going to another church. The pastors, they they don't love me. They don't have time for me. (laughs) That's not true. It's just they don't have 15 minutes for you every time they see you. That's just unrealistic. Listen, these are very basic courtesies that will make you like honey that actually draw and attract people to you versus the other way that leads to avoidance. So next week, we'll delve into the exchange between the wise woman of Tekoa and the king. And boy, what an exchange that will be. Lord, thank you for our time this morning in your word. I do ask, Lord, that it would accomplish in us that which is pleasing to you In Jesus' name, amen.